Welcome back, everybody. Another incredible episode of the Expert Trader Podcast Series. We have a very special guest in the house today. Mr. Swaggy C, Chris Williams, is in the house. Chris, thank you for stopping by the podcast. Appreciate you for having me on, bro. It's a blessing. So you're a legend in the trading game. I've known about you for years, but in case some folks haven't heard of you before, you want to introduce yourself, give a quick rundown on who you are? Yeah, my name is Chris Williams, but everybody calls me Swaggy C. I call myself Swaggy C, and I've been trading in the game for eight years, been teaching for three. I feel like I've paved a lane in this industry that a lot of people haven't done before. A lot of people have said that I'm on the Mount Rushmore of traders in my own field, if that makes sense. You know, like I've done a lot of things when it comes to YouTube, putting out so many free videos and and. I was the one who started off the whole having the the the, the vlogger lifestyle. Not now everybody's doing like a secure the swag. I was the first one to start that, you know. And, and I feel very proud that like it's not just me. Like I, I don't consider myself the greatest trader in the world, the best trader in the world. I feel like a lot of other people are better traders than me or or better this than me. Um, but I feel like for me, I feel like I'm I'm good at what I do, and I feel like I'm one of the best at what I do. And I am a trader and an entrepreneur. There we go. So Chris is an entrepreneur. He's uh, a former reality TV star, former collegiate basketball player, former, 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 former. Do you want to give people a few, like a little bit of a backstory on some of the different things that you were involved in? Yeah. So I, I most recently uh, before, you know, this whole entrepreneur journey, uh, I was on reality TV, I was on two different shows. I think three different shows. Before that, I was a, a, a college basketball player. Before that, I was a battle rapper. Before that, I was a babysitter. Well, after that, I was a babysitter. You know, I, I did, did a lot of different things, um, so, and I'm still pretty good at all those things. So, yeah, basketball, battle rap, babysitting, and reality TV. There we go. I mean, all very different things. Obviously, just the hustler and you, you were finding opportunities. You were looking for a way to, to get ahead. What do you feel like trading has provided for you? And then where have you been able to take your trading, or how have you been able to transition from trading, taking some of those opportunities that it's open for you, and transitioning to other ventures? Yeah, so trading provided the best thing that any of those things could provide for me. It provided me a lifestyle to where I didn't necessarily need anybody else to be successful, right? Like it, it all depends on me. If I lose a trade, it's on, my, it's on me. If I want to trade, it's on me. Basketball requires, you know, everybody else, like a whole team effort. You're not really in control if you play or not. Battle rap, you got 300, 500, 700, 1,000 people around you watching you and, you know, people are in your ear, things of that nature. It, like, sometimes it could be just you, sometimes it could not be just you. Babysitting, you rely on somebody to pay you to watch their kids if they feel like you didn't do a good job. That's up to their discretion. You know, reality TV, it's up to the producers to call you back. Trading is just me in the charts. And if I'm not good enough, I got to do more work to be better. And it provided me a lifestyle to where I don't have to worry about anybody else i could take a break if i want for a month or two or i can be on the charts heavily every single minute of every single day because i know at the end of the day i don't I'm not interested in going back to a job so that's what trading's provided for me like the, the option of there's no ceiling the ceiling to babysitting the ceiling to reality tv the ceiling to college basketball which is you know if you're not good enough to go to nba overseas and that's it and there's a ceiling to uh battle rap you know um but there's no ceiling with trading so that provided me for that as far as whether they were to take trading Trading has opened up so many doors because, you know, you can be a trader that's just by yourself in the office, just you, or you can branch out. And for me, I feel like I follow the footsteps of a lot of people who were doing this years before me, like Astro and, and, and Q and Storm Lewis and Jason Staples, like just all those type of people where you can kind of create a brand where you can show your trade, show, you know, how, how, you, how you came across this industry, teach other people. And then from the teaching of the people, it allows you to do other businesses. Like if you ask Asha or Q or myself, we're not just a trader and somebody with a program. We have like three, four, five other businesses in other fields that wouldn't have happened 
if we weren't a trader first. So it just opened up a lot of opportunities. Two things. In terms of if trading doesn't have any ceilings, why do so many people struggle in trading? So a lot of people struggle in trading because for me, in my opinion, one, I feel like a lot of people just quit. You know, like when, when, when you go to medical school for eight years, you don't quit. And that's the issue with trading. There's no time limit on when you're going to be successful. You know, in high school, you got four years. That's it. You know, medical school, you got eight years. That's it for the most part. All these different things you're doing, you know, there's a time limit where the finish line is seven years, six years, five years, four years. So it's easy for people to like be like, all right, I only got two years left, three years left. With trading, it's the fear of the unknown. You don't know if next week you're going to have that aha eureka effect moment or if it's going to take five, six, seven years. And a lot of people don't have five, six, seven years to waste. When you mm -hmm. go to college, before college, you know, okay, if I go to, you can plan it out. If I go to medical school for eight years, that means that I'm going to be 26 years old, 27 years old. I'm, I may still live with my parents. You can plan all that out. With trading, you can't plan it out if you aren't going to be good at trading for 12 years, 11 years. So as time goes on, people just quit. For me, that, that, that's the number one reason because I don't care if it takes you five years, six years, or seven years. I know a guy named Michael in that Market Witches book. He told me, he, not told me, but in the book, he said he failed for six years straight. And then he made, I think, 88 million or 80 million over a span of eight years, nine years. Like people don't have that, that the stamina to last that long. It's not the technical, it's not the fundamentals. You can learn everything you want to learn. It's that combined with your previous history with money. So like people are scared to, you know, with their psychology. There's a reason why people who can gamble and bet in Vegas or sports bet can come into the sports market, give them a few months and they can be nasty. So they don't care if they win or lose. They know like they're here to do a job. People who are so conservative are just like, I don't want to lose this money. It's just, it's just like for me, it's those reasons combined. I mean, you've been around the game for a while and you've probably seen a bunch of people trying to learn trading for a while. Do you find that it's the same problems that were hurting people back then that are the same issues that are hurting people now? Or do you feel like it's a different set of problems nowadays? I feel like it's it's always the same problem, but it's different when it comes to the individual person. For example, individual person number uh, A may come from, like try to learn how to trade, but at the same time, their parents never came for money. So they only have 300, 400 to waste. And like they saw their parents were never good with money. So when it comes to trading, they're very hesitant to get in the trade. They see eight confluences on a trade and they're waiting for that ninth one when they should have gotten four confluences to go. They're, they're so hesitant. Whereas individual person B may come in with the problem of, I'm still scared to trade, but it has nothing to do with their family. It has stuff to do with, okay, they live with, with five roommates and they want to make rent this month. They're gonna, they, they don't have a job. They're looking at this to make money. It's, mm. it's the same problem in terms of people want to make money, but they're scared to place that trade. They're not scared on the demo account. There's no emotions attached to it. It's not your real money. When it comes to your real life money, people are scared to risk that. And, and for me, I just said this on, on, on another podcast, a trading up podcast, where I said, you have a better chance at becoming a trader than going to the NBA. You, you tell your parents you want to be a trader and investor because what's the, what's the stats? 90% of traders lose, 10% make it, blah, 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 boom. If you have a million traders in the world, there's more than that. But if you have a million traders in the world, that means 100,000 make it. Whereas the NBA, there's only been 5,000 people in the 80, 90 years, there's been 5,000 people. That's it. That's it. Maximum. No, no more than that. And the, the, the statistics of the NBA is like, you have a 0.00005% chance of making it to the NBA. And parents are like, go to the NBA. So it's just like, I don't know, it's just all those factors. Nobody believes in them. Not having friends who believe in them. Everybody thinks it's a scam. It's just so many different factors, bro. So is it the self-doubt, do you feel like, or is it the capital? Because a lot of people try to tell themselves when they're losing that if I had more capital, I'd succeed. But yeah. in reality, maybe they don't have the right mindset. And some other folks, they might be struggling with the mindset, but really they just need more capital. 
I think I think it, it a million percent comes down to the mindset overall because it doesn't even it's not even a matter of capital. I look at this in my real life. I have a friend who, you know, needed some money and I gave them money and then they said they were going to do X, Y, and Z with it, and they didn't. And they asked for more money. I gave them more money, and then they needed more money. And I told them I'm not going to do it no more. And I said, "Well, you only gave me this money in spurts. If you would have gave it to me all at one time, I would have did better with it." No, you wouldn't have, because you couldn't have controlled the the money I gave you, the, the thousands I gave you here and here and here. You couldn't control that. And it's the same with, with when it comes to this market, where whether you have a $500 account or a $5,000 account, it comes to the mindset. The issue is people will have that $500 account and try to flip it to a million, as opposed to understanding that if you have the proper risk management, look at that as, I'm gonna slowly grow this account. Don't look at it as, I need to make this money by next month, two months. Look at it as a long-term game. And this is why I look at prop firms, look at everything else, where it's like, eventually, yeah, if you wanna get funded, get funded, you may come across some money, work a job, like I babysat and I was making five grand a month, do something else and get that money to fund into your account. But people will try to use a standard lot on a $500 account and then get mad when their account gets blown. It does not make sense to me. So this is kind of a practical question, but if someone is sitting at home or somebody probably is sitting at home or they're listening to this at gym or whatever it is, and they're thinking to themselves, you know, they don't have the capital to trade. Should they try and take the small amount of capital and grow it? Should they try and fund their account and take a longer time to learn it? What's your take on how somebody should scale in trading when they have a little bit of capital? Well, I think this, this is like the exact process people should do. Number one, I think if you have a small account, use it for a live account, but do not use it to try to grow it to... 100,000 or anything like, like that. Use it as I am going to get myself in this live market, place penny lot trades, and just get the emotion behind winning a trade, losing a trade, breaking even, the spread, just getting used to it. You try to do that on demo account, it doesn't work because you can get all those little skills. You won't get the actual skill of winning or losing money. It won't feel like anything. Even if you have a $100 account, winning or losing $5 it's literally five, like live dollars. As time goes on, you will build that emotion inside of you to be like, okay, I know what it's like to make money and lose money. Great, cool. Once you get that out the way, yes, use a little bit of money you have to try to get funded because having access to a little bit more capital, does, it doesn't mean the world, but to that specific person in their mind, they're like we talk about mindset means everything. It's mindset over capital. But in their individual mind, they're like, oh, I have a $25,000 account. So now I, I'm really can, can do X, Y, and Z, even though me and you both know that it's not necessarily a matter of the capital, but for the individual person, that mindset can do everything for them. Use that money, get a funded account. And then last thing is try to make some money in that funded account. And then whatever money you withdraw, use that to fund your live account. And now you have two different accounts that you can kind of go back and back. One with no rules at all. The other with the rules of like the 5% drawdown, things of that nature. That was a really dope breakdown. I really appreciate how you step-by-stepped it. From your perspective, do you prefer trading your own capital? Or do you prefer trading prop capital? Have you tried both and which one? Uh, yeah, I've never, I've never traded on a, on a prop firm. Um, everything has been my own capital. Not that I'm against it. I just have never done it. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I'll be damned if I... If, if the trader I am goes on a prop firm and they're like, oh, sorry, you were 5% drawdown. Your account has been terminated. You don't know how to trade. What? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like because I, I I know how to manage my risk. You know what I mean? So, but I, I just never have, have tried it on a prop firm. Maybe one day I'll try it on a prop firm just to test my skills. If I can stay within the parameters of the limits and stuff. But I haven't done that's that. very fair. Uh, and I think it is true that the majority of people are in the phase of still figuring it out. And then once you figured it out, you're sort of, you know, in a different league and it's a smaller pool there. But the people who watch this that may be struggling with their trading, where when you were working at a regular job or not like a, like a nine to five job, but you were babysitting and you had other focuses and streams of income, how were you able to manage that focus with trading? 
and still manage to make the progress that you were making? So babysitting was very, very specific. I was very, very hyper-targeted. So I was in college and I dropped out of college with a, with a plan. I told my mom I'm dropping out to become a, a day trader and an entrepreneur. You can either support me or not, she doesn't support me. But when I dropped out, I had a plan. It was not to work a nine to five. It was to babysit, babysit rich kids, not just babysit anybody, rich kids. I went to Greenwich, Connecticut. If you Google Greenwich, Connecticut, it is the richest city and the richest state in all of America. And yeah. Greenwich, Connecticut was about 40 to 50 minutes driving from Bridgeport, Connecticut. I'm from, I'm from the hood, so I'm Bridgeport. And the rich part was just like 50 minutes that way. I remember like it just me and my friend Tyvon. It's very, very legal. Don't do this, guys. Watching very, very legal. We printed out like a thousand flyers and we went to everybody's mailbox and started just boom, boom, putting a flyer in everybody's mailbox saying, we'll babysit for you. We'll walk, walk your dog. We'll put your, anything we could do. We got a few calls back and forth. Long story short, I ended up getting into a situation to where I had one family. They loved me so much. And then they referred me to everybody in the neighborhood to the point where I had like 30 different families. Long story short, it was I was very, very specific because babysitting allowed me to do something that I liked, which was have fun with kids, play video games, play 2K, their sleep, just make sure there's no sleep while we go on a date night for three, four hours. Because at the same time, I can learn how to trade while babysitting. Like aside from the video games, I got to play video games. After they're tired and they're in bed, I'm literally on my computer studying. Whereas a nine to five, you can't really do that. So I would tell people is try to be very, very targeted on the job that you have. If you have a nine to five and you can't get out of that nine to five, then work around those hours. We all have those extra hours and that's a different demon and different battle. You got to battle yourself because you work from nine to five, you're tired, you get home, you got a family, and then you, it's like eight to 10. Do you want to learn how to trade or do you want to watch TV and kind of relax in your long day? Most people want to relax in their long day because they know they got to move along day tomorrow. And it takes a special person to be like, you know what, I'm going to learn how to trade. Goes back to my first point, which is, the issue with that is nobody knows how long it may be. If somebody told them, if you do this Monday through Friday or Sunday through Friday, basically, five to five, you study for a year straight, you will have, you will guarantee to make 100K every single month of 1.2 million a year. Everybody would do it. There's just no time limit on it, which is why people will study and then go right back to work. So long story short, the advice that I would have is you got to try to fight that demon within yourself to, to battle that. I'm going to watch, Netflix. what is Netflix doing for you? The more you watch that, you're paying them. You're not paying yourself. You're not working on any tangible skills for yourself. You got to get over that. And so it doesn't come down to motivation. So if somebody does come home, there's two, there's two different people that come home. Somebody who comes home and relaxes and someone who comes home after a long day and still manages to put in the effort on the charts. Is one person born different than the other person? Does one person have more energy? What is that difference? No, it's, it's, it's again, we go back to it. It's, it's a mindset difference. Some people just don't care enough. They act like they care. There's a difference between somebody saying, I'm tired. I worked a nine to five and I'm not going to, I don't, I don't, I don't like have time to study. I, I, I deserve to relax. Says who? Like most people in this world working nine to five. Congratulations. Get over it. Like work nine to five. Okay, cool. The next level is managing that time to have that extra set of hours. Like, yeah, you got to balance family time. I'm not talking about that, but those two, three hours, you're just chilling, watching Netflix. That is better than what you're doing now, in my opinion, in terms of just watch, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, watching TV and doing nothing. What I know somebody, somebody was my friend, he's a barber. What he did was he cut hair for like two years straight, saved up like 100, 130K. And barbering is different, but just imagine if he had a nine to five job. He saved up 130K so that he had 12 straight months to just study the charts with no interruptions and live minimally, right? Live minimally. His bills were like 3,000 a month. So it came out to like 36,000 a year. He really could study the charts for three years straight. If he didn't take no vacations, he had 130K saved up. Obviously, he's going to keep cutting hair, but he had that. 
And saving that up gives you a lot more time to do certain things. And a lot of people won't save up enough work or work two different jobs, save up money, and then get to a point to where you have a cushion for one to two years and then try to study. And that was an interesting mindset that one of my friends had told me that they did. And I was like, oh, wow, you really can lock in because you have no excuses for seven days straight to just study because you have the money to, to fall back on no matter what. A lot of people's ego won't let them sort of live minimally long enough and to stack money long enough to be able to invest in those things because they feel like they have to impress people or live a certain lifestyle. When you were coming up, I mean, obviously people see the multi-million dollar home now and the experiences and the lifestyle, but when you were coming up, how did, how were you living? Were you trying to be minimal while you were still investing in yourself or were you kind of uh, leaning into the lifestyle and, and spending a little bit? Never. Alex came over into the podcast with me. He said, you're the only person in this industry who's not one of the only person who's not flexing a Lamborghini to like, he didn't necessarily say to like show off the lifestyle so people can like look at you X, Y, and Z, but he basically said, you're the only one who doesn't have like a Lamborghini and it's doing the Lambo lifestyle. Look at my Lambo, blah, 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 sign up for my program type of thing. I'm not, I'm not interested. I'm, I don't, I'm not, I don't care about cars like that. I'm not interested in doing that. I'm not fake like that. You know, some people really do like cars, which I understand. I could care less about that. And I, I, I was the same way before I got into this industry, I was babysitting. I was making money. I still lived at home with, with, with my mom. So it wasn't like I was getting my own apartment. I wasn't really focusing on girls and bringing girls. I dropped out for a reason. You know what I mean? I didn't have a girlfriend. Like I was really, really locked in. And sometimes I'll be like, sometimes what I did was sometimes with the money, like I went to college in Boston for a year and then New Jersey for the other two years. And I dropped out my senior year. So I would like sometimes after studying my heart out for like a month, two, three months straight, I would take like a, a two day trip to Boston, go see my friend and be like, yo, life is good. I'm just studying blah, 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 and things of that nature. Still study over there, but still visit them and take the time to kind of relax. It's good to reset yourself sometimes, but I never lean into the lifestyle and try to live above my means. I, I, didn't, I didn't even do that after TV. After TV, I got off TV, went to Missouri, but got a small house in Missouri. Like it's a house in Missouri, cost of living really, really cheap. Small house in Missouri with my wife and started running it up and things of that nature. Like I, I don't, I'm not interested in living above my lifestyle. People look at that, the two penthouses that I had in Los Angeles that cost a lot of money. Yeah, I was probably making 10 times that, 15 times that. It's, it's a big difference, you know? So even if you are, even if you are living a luxurious lifestyle, it doesn't mean you're not living below your means. So people kind of have to put that into perspective. Did you become kind of mindful about money because of the way that you grew up, because of the scarcity? Or did you have success at some point in your life and lost it? And that's where your appreciation for money came from. Nah, never. It was kind of how I grew up. I grew up, I was, was homeless three, four times. So I slept in cars for six months. And um, this was at a very young age, like six years old, 13 years old. Like I, I was homeless several times. I remember sleeping in shelters and being like, I'm never going to live like this when I grow up, things of that nature. So my love for money and protection came from that. It never came from making money, losing it. I never really had money until I started to drop out of college and started growing up. Like babysitting was like really my first row of money where it's like, oh, I'm making 4K, 5K, 6K a month. All right, cool, boom, boom, boom. But it all came from being homeless early on. Okay. And so a lot of people, and I appreciate you being so candid about it because I know a lot of the times when you're going, when you're talking about your journey, you do focus a lot on the lessons. And so I'm never sure if, uh, if you've had a point where you kind of had to go through, you know, working through that and just taking out the lessons from it, or if you've always been optimistic about it? It's kind of like a side question. What, being, being homeless early on? No, just all the lessons that you've had from being homeless and kind of having to figure things out and being on, all, you know, being on the reality TV and realizing it wasn't enough and looking at the basketball career and realizing that might not be enough. Were you optimistic about, you know, I'm just going to figure something out and go to the next step? 
or did that did your mindset that you have today kind of stem from uh, those experiences? Yeah, no. So I, I never doubted myself. Like I was always optimistic, no, no matter what it was. I was um, like, I, I never had like a one percent doubt. Like I, I looked at myself like there was no reason for me to be homeless and do this and that and not be rich. The reason why on February 6, 2012, me coming just from three years of being homeless and being like the class clown with like a 2.1 GPA, then a 2.9 GPA, then a 3.2 GPA, like just growing year by year, my junior year, I tweeted, mark my words, because what happened was the yearbook was like planning like the committee and things of that nature. And one of the 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 uh, awards was like most likely to be successful, most likely to be rich, things of that nature. And one of my best friends named Kevin, Kevin Williams, he told the whole room, because just because he knew who I, who I was and like my, my work ethic, even in, in high school, it's going to be Chris. And the entire room laughed. I'm, I'm not even joking. The entire room laughed. Like it was like maybe nine people in the committee. And it was like, I, I don't see Claire's day. How it's going to be Chris. There's no chance of that being Chris. And I remember tweeting that, going home and tweeting that night. I am going to be the richest person to graduate from my school. I can send this to you after. I can DM the, 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 the tweet to you right now as we're, as we're on this call, just because um, I remember that so vividly. And that shows you that I, no matter what happened, I, just, I never had a doubt on anything that was going on. And matter of fact, on this call right now, check, check your DM, check your DM and, and, and read it right now. If you have your phone, if you have it near you, check your DM and, and read it for the people, just so you can see that like, never, ever, ever had a doubt whatsoever. And look at the date too. So this is you or this is your boy? This is me. This is okay. me. So this is, this is Chris. One like and one retweet. All right. He said, mark my words. In 10 years, I'm going to be the richest person who graduated from Kobe Cathedral. I'm telling you this right now. And this is 2012. 2012. And I posted it on February 6, 2022. If you click the post, 10 years later, at the exact time at 8.53 p.m., I posted it and said, I did not forget. And a lot of people from my high school, they're like, we know you could do No, the hell you didn't. Long story short. All I'm saying is that back to your question, I never had a single doubt. I was always optimistic because of being homeless. I was always optimistic about the next thing, the next thing panning out. And I never looked at it as, well, these lessons are just like, woe is me and I'm the victim. I looked at every single thing as, all right, I'm playing basketball, but I'm not playing for a reason. God wants me to go from here to here. Reality TV was cool, but I hate it for a reason. God doesn't want me to do that. Trading, oh, it's popping off, it's working. God wants me to be here. So I looked at everything as a lesson. It's really interesting that you put that down. It's even more interesting because I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it. If you guys uh, go on his Instagram, you guys will be able to check it out. But he's got a picture printed out of that tweet. <laughs> there's a lot of people that say that, you know, don't share your goals out loud. Keep your goals to yourself, et cetera, et cetera. What's your take on putting goals out there? And do you feel like putting goals out there has helped you be more accountable to them? Or is, yeah. is it just meant to be sort of? No, I think me putting my goals out there are two things. One, to some people, it comes off as cocky or, or stupid because like i said one one retweet one like i remember a lot of people were talking about it in like group me back in the day when group me was popping like the group me group chats in that nature um ask fm ask like the anonymous question back in 2012 and people would ask me my question do you really think you're gonna be rich lol you have no chance things of that nature but me putting my goals out there holds me accountable because if i don't do it i know that there's somebody in this world who's watching like, yo, swag, you didn't, you didn't do this like you said you would. Boom, boom, boom. Like I put my goals out there for last year. At the end of last year, as it ended, a lot of my fans were just like, yo, like, where is this? Where's the mansion? Boom, 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 boom. I'm like, I got, two, I got two penthouses instead. I didn't get a mansion. Damn. Boom, boom. Like people hold you uh, uh, accountable of like certain things you said. So I think people should put their goals out there. Um, don't be afraid to be laughed at or judged because they're your goals. 
nobody matters but you and the people who really support you. And at the end of the day, you can make your goals happen. Um, but for me personally, some people are more private. Me, I just like putting it out there because when I do it, I want you to know that I knew this was going to happen. There was no doubt in my mind. I was, like I have, bro, I have like, I'm not even going to show it right now, but I have like 10 different tweets like that of me saying, I'm going to do this one day. I'm going to do this one day. Boom, 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 boom. And they happen. I, I just like putting it out there because it holds me accountable publicly. So you guys heard it. You guys heard it from Chris himself. So you did say something earlier about how you never doubted yourself. You've always had that supreme confidence and that self-confidence. Obviously, that's one of the more important traits in trading. Where do you feel like your self-confidence played into your trading? And where does self-confidence play into trading in general? I think the self-confidence played into my trading because I always felt like no matter what, I, I worked hard at something and I'm not working hard for no reason. Like you, you, you work hard in school and you're rewarded if you get an A, things of that nature. And, and your reward for college, you get that diploma. And for me, it's like, why am I working tirelessly every single day to study these charts just for when the real thing that happened, I'm scared. And there was a lesson that my coach, Chris Smith, told me. Uh, he, he was an NBA player who came out to coach our high school team my junior year. And I want to tell you guys one thing. And we were like midway in the season. He said, there is practice players and there's players who turn up when the lights come on. Like some people in practice may lollygag and turn around. The minute they step on that court with the fans and the lights, they turn up. And there's some mm -hmm. people who are just practice players. And then when they get on the court, they get all scared. They're nervous. And there's a difference. And for me, I was like, I'm not going to be a practice player when it comes to this market. If I'm studying and I'm working my, I'm, I'm taking time away from my brother and my mother and my friends. I'm dropping out of college. I'm trying to be vindicated. The year I dropped out of college, my basketball team won the championship. The year I dropped out, they won the championship. I had to watch them win the championship. I didn't get a ring. I had to watch them walk down, walk the stage to get the diploma. I didn't get the diploma because my own reasons. I wanted to vindicate myself. And that was that reason where I was like, okay, confidence comes from that. I'm not about to just sit here and work all day and then be scared when it's time to produce. Win, lose, or draw. I'm here to do a job. Kobe, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. He also missed the most shots in NBA history. It's okay to lose. Like, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just, just mitigate your risk. And the second question you asked was, what role does confidence play in trading in general? It plays the entire thing because if you're not confident, it goes back to the second thing I said, which was, you're going to hesitate when you're on that demo account and, or not that demo account. You're not hesitating at all. You're confident because a demo account, I'm just going to run it up. On a live account, you're like, you're scared. You're doubting yourself. And if you just remove all doubt and be like, yes, I'm going to lose some time, but as long as I keep my risk to reward ratio at a good rate, chances are as time goes on over the, the course record of one, two, three, four, five, six months, I should be profitable, more profitable than, 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 than losing. So, I mean, it sounds to me that preparation, it sounds like you're saying that preparation is the bridge between being, <clears throat> excuse me, like a confident uh, game time player and a practice player. Would you agree that it's preparation or what other factors play into someone being confident in the things that they're practicing? No, no, it, it's, it's just the mindset because everybody in, in, in practice is doing the same thing. We're all doing the same exact drills. It's just when you get to the game, there are people who, who are ready more, who does not care about losing. And that's what Mark Douglas was talking about in trading in the zone. That's the biggest lesson I taught in trading in the zone, where he was like, when you look at sports, when you look at athletes, when they're in the game, they do a, like they do, and you react instinctively. You don't try to plan every single move because you can't in a sport. You got to swing when, when, when it's time, when the ball gets close to you. You got to try to cross somebody up, shoot, things of that nature, Euro step. And the thing with that is, when he's talking about in trading in the zone, is that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to foul people. You're going to, like basketball, you're going to charge turnover you may have four turnovers in the game but when you realize when you look at it the totality of it most sports athletes realize you do just enough to win the game 
And he said that in like chapter two or three, and that was one of my favorite things in the book where it's like, you're right, because I've been playing basketball my whole life. And some years we go 17 and four, those four losses taught us something that we didn't make those same mistakes for the other 17. When it comes to trading in general, it's not about pre preparation matters, but you can prepare every single day for eight years straight and still not be good enough. It's get over that. I don't care. I'm here to place a trade. If I lose, it is what it is. People are scared to lose because they're risking too much. They're risking half their account. So if they lose, it's, it, they're half their account's gone. If you risk what you're supposed to be risking, which is not that much, and you lose, you realize it's not that big of a deal because you didn't lose that much of your account. But people aren't happy with slow profits because they realize that gambling effect where, yeah, I can lose half of my account, but I can also double my account. So it, play, it, it, it balances out. No, it doesn't. So th that's the biggest thing. It's the mindset. So that is incredibly insightful right so the whole point of shifting a mindset to somebody who is okay with losing and is accepting the full risk of trading that seems to be uh, probably the defining factor in someone's success so then you've been trading for a long time do you feel like it, it's you know we see a lot of traders being successful off of over leveraging and they might be successful for one or two seasons where they're making big money do you feel like that's a successful long-term strategy and can somebody be successful in the long term without proper risk management? No, I don't think anybody can be successful long term with the proper risk management because what is success defined at in this market? One year or is it like defined it by five years? I've seen people come in this market, kill for, for months and then vanish and people for a year and then vanish. Like success, in my opinion, is doing it for a track record over a year straight. I don't mean me personally. I don't care if you can flip an account from, you know, 10K to 100K. And then we never hear from you again. I, I, I don't care about that. I want to see, like, I would rather, like, look at it in terms of somebody who can make consistently $2,000 every single week, every single month, $3,000, $4,000, four, five years straight, and somebody who can flip an account. Because what most of these traders out there are showing you is that they can flip an account, but they never show you when they blow that account. Like, nobody shows that. Nobody's transparent to be like, guys, damn, I blew, I blew this account because they fear the uh, reputation is going to be hit as opposed to, no, the only reason your reputation is going to be hit is because you risk too much. It's not going to be hit because you lost money. Losing, losing is okay, but nobody wants to show that. So no, no, it, it comes down to that, in my opinion. So if someone says that they would prefer taking the 10K to 100K, what if they're like, you know what, I'll take that. I'll take the 10K to 100K versus being consistent $2,000, $5,000 a month over the long term. Do you feel like the markets are even a place where people can come with that sort of mindset where they uh, want to be like a short-term uh, money flip sort of place? You can, if you, if you realize that that is your end goal. So what I was saying in my last thing is, if you're talking about who's more successful between someone who can just come in and try to flip 10K to 100K and transparent the whole time, as opposed to someone who's guaranteed consistent for five years straight, it's the person consistent for five years straight. You know, like people can come in the NBA and, and be great for a year and then tear the ACL and you never hear from them again, as opposed to someone who's, in, who's a, a vet. But if you're talking about somebody who's just in this market to flip an account, then use that flip to do other projects. Yes, you can do that. There's a place for that. I was talking about just simply comparing the two. If you're not comparing nobody, you just you just want to come in to, as long as you may need. Flip a 10K account to 100K, 100K to a million, and then take a break for a year. Oh, by all means, do that. There is a place for you in this market, for sure. And you will be praised, but just don't say you're more successful than somebody who can do this for five, six, seven, eight years straight. That's, that's two different things. All right. I appreciate that honesty. I'm kind of just like thinking about the insights are given is that people just shouldn't judge themselves on the amount of time it takes to get to those points. Because I feel like whether you want to be an account flipper or whether you want to you know, build an account over the long term, as long as you're not giving yourself a timeline of when it needs to happen, you won't be doing irrational things to get there. Do you agree with that? Right. Yes, correct. Exactly. And so what do you feel like 
even if people are hearing this and they know, don't rush the process. And they understand that trading is not a place for that. Why do you feel like it's so hard for people to accept that fact? Because I still see it, especially with our traders, Money, it's the reason that a lot of people lose. It's the expectations they're putting on themselves. Money, because they, they're, they're all joining with like effed up situations back at home and they, and they look at that trading as their end-all, be-all way out, which it can be, which I've said before. It's just, you can't expect to quit your job within a year and jump to this trading market because no job in the world does that. Like, and, and tell me one job where you can go from starting out knowing nothing about the job to like CEO in a matter of a year. You don't do that with medical school that you need a year as a college. I've said this over and over again. This is the only job in the world people realize that and they're like, oh, if I don't become successful in five months, the teacher is a scam. Everybody who's trading forex is a scam. This market's a scam. And I'm never going to learn it. Bro, you, you put in five, six months. And one of my analogies was, I said before, was take somebody, and I keep saying basketball because I'm a basketball player, but take somebody, I said before, who's never, ever, 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 ever touched the basketball before in their life. Like, they touched it, but, like, they're really a soccer player. Get them in the gym every single day for six months straight and do whatever they want to do. Six months straight. After six months, play me in a one-on-one. -on -one. You're still not scoring a single point against me. Not one. Not a single point. You're not blowing none of that. The issue is, if you test your skills from those six months to, 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 to zero, you got way better. You can actually shoot now. You can actually dribble now. You can actually defend now. You're just going against somebody who's been doing this for 17 you know, years. You know what I mean? That's a big difference versus comparing yourself to yourself at zero months and six months. When you look at, oh, I couldn't dribble or shoot. Now I can do it inside out. I can do between the legs behind the back. Now I can shoot from 30. You're just, you're getting better. Do that for two years, three years, four years. Now that one-on-one -on -one game becomes way more interesting. And that's how people got to look at this market where in, in six months you quit. You just, like, you did no favor to yourself. A lot of people make faster progress than others. I feel like because they're more honest with themselves and they're more introspective. So if you're introspectively looking at the mistakes you're making, you're going to make progress a lot faster. Right. So what do you feel like people should be looking at in their trading in order to figure out where their pain points are? What should they be looking at? Just the profit and loss? Should they be looking at their psychology and emotions while they're trading? What do you feel like should be their focal point? Yeah, and, and insight. It has to be um, profit and loss is cool, but that's like maybe 10, 20% of it. It's more so the psychology you have behind it. Like how long did it take you to get in this trade? Like how many confluences did it take you to get in this trade? But also when doing that, what I told you before is if you can record yourself before and after a trade or even in the middle of a trade, try and do that. Like even if you have a laptop, use QuickTime player. You don't got to record your, your physical self, but record your screen, just journal yourself and, okay, guys, this, this is like me before the trade. I think this is going to happen, boom, 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 boom. And then get in the trade and then document how you feel during the trade. Okay, I'm a little nervous. I'm actually going to turn this off and then I'll come back to you guys when I look at the market again, but I'm just going to play video games or be with my family, boom, boom, boom. And you come back, yo, guys, I just see it. I just lost. I just made money. This is why, and this is why I'm confident. This is why I lost money. I, I didn't see this little movement right here. I missed this. I'm not going to miss it next time. Go to iMovie, Final Cut, or Adobe. Put those three different videos together. Now you have one video that's like 30 minutes long. That's like your, your, your visual journal, in my opinion. And because you can go back and watch those like, okay, when I was back at this point, because you can write it all down in this pool. And the, the one caveat to my FX book that I don't like is that when you go back to history, you can look back at like 167 tabs ago, trades ago, and you won't know the exact feeling you had making that trade. Like it just, it just numbers at that point. Like, okay, over a span of eight months, I made this much, lost this month, here's my drawdown, boom, 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 which is good. And I think you should have that, but also have a visual one where you can document each trade where you're talking to yourself. Like, 
this is how I feel because it's all introspective. It's not just a profit and loss. It's people got to look within themselves. Why are they hesitant to get in the trade? When you're in the trade, what are you doing? Are you getting in at the wrong time? Because the visual aspect can show you, like me or you or somebody else can look at look at, at their visual journal and be like, yeah, you got in a little bit too late. You got to wait too late. You should have got in right here. Boom, boom, boom. And you can track that. It's all introspective. That's that's awesome. That's honestly one of the best tips I've heard. See, I have the benefit because I trade live for my team. I'm always doing calls. So I have the benefit of looking at myself all the time. And that's how I've been able to improve as well. But for somebody to just do that for themselves and to make that real, that highlight real, I feel like that's really awesome. I learned that from this kid at this Astro event, like maybe five years ago. He had like, a, he didn't have a visual talking, but he had a binder. And in his binder, it was the dopest thing I've seen in the world. He was so organized where he had like before and after, like before on, on the left side. And then like, he had like typed it up on trading view, like, I think this is going to happen, boom, 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 the right side, whatever happened afterwards, he gave his opinion. He had it for like 200 pages straight, just a whole journal. The dopest thing I've seen in the world. And I took that and was like, okay, I'm going to make a visual one. Started recording visually. And now, just like you said, trading live, that has helped me so much because before I was trading live to myself and then like having a course, like, because I wanted to teach people like the foundation of the course. Now I just opened this lab where I trade live with my team every single day. Mm. And it's so much easier because it's literally, I got to jump on a call before the trade, middle of the trade after the trade and it's so much easier for them to see it in real time like okay this is how swaggy is in real time for me it's easier for me to be like okay i have to record this video anyway for my team so it's all it's all synchronized so that makes sense 100 i mean just as like a side question because uh, the next thing i want to do is i want to ask you a fire round quick opinion about some things in the industry today prop firms other things but real quick what do you feel like is the difference between trading in front of people and trading for yourself do you feel like i mean you're obviously a, a performer you just talked about being a game player versus kind of in practice but I mean, playing, being a trader just for yourself, by yourself is still a game. You're still in the game. Right. So how do you feel like it's a difference with a crowd versus no crowd in the arena? The crowd makes a reaction, you know, like the, the, the crowd makes a reaction. Like when I'm practicing myself in the gym, it's just me. I miss a shot. It is what it is. I make a shot. It is what it is. Like I, don't, I don't get, there's nobody's going to pat me on my back for doing a crazy dunk by myself or somebody's going to pat me on my back or say, you suck if I miss. Trading in front of people, what the issue is, not with me, with other people and how they feel, not other traders. And then people like in my in my program or other programs, like they may feel like they don't want to trade in front of people is because if you lose one trade, all of a sudden you suck and you're the worst ever. Whereas internally, you know, oh, that's just one trade, bad trade is what it is, cough it up, take it, take a L, charge it to the game, it is what it is, and move on to the next one. And I think a lot of people don't don't are scared of that. And me, I'm not scared of that. I just started my lab like a month and a half. Yesterday was the one year, uh, not one year, one month anniversary. And it's been so amazing because I don't care. I think, I, I think I'm think i 13 for 15. I'm a swing trader. So I don't trade 100 times a month, like 13 mm -hmm. for 15 over the last month. And for me, it, it, I didn't care if, if I lost or I won, even I only lost two times last month. Next month, I can lose six times. I don't care regardless. I know, like I said earlier, the long-term game. My focus is... The PL statement at the end of the year, like you're, you may have a bad day, a bad week, a bad month for 12 months straight. Was a year bad? Chances are most likely 100% not. You know what I mean? So I, I, I don't really care, but I think that that's what separates the people who like to trade in front of people, people who don't. They're, they're more so scared of the reaction from other people. Right. So when you're confident in your own skill set and when the markets pay your bills, you don't really need to worry about the opinions. That's what I'm saying. Like it's easy for me and you to do it right, right now because. It is what it is. We don't care. We're confident. And we do it live every day. It's, it's, uh, no, 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 reverse. It's hard for us to do. It's easy for me and you, but it's hard to do it every single day consistently. It's easy for those people out there who 
We'll do a webinar, show an MT4 screenshot, and be active for that one, two days, and then never again for two months straight. That is easy. Anybody can do that. But every single day, it's a little difficult, but me and you have managed that perfectly fine. For sure. You're just being held accountable. And as long as you, you are holding yourself accountable in private, it's not going to be any different when, when you're out there. So fire round real quick. These are questions that I ask, uh, that, that I ask folks, because these are all hot topics in the industry today. Some folks yep. promote these things. Some folks are completely on the other side of the spectrum saying that they're scams or whatever they are, but both of the individuals who are either promoting or negating the value of these things are successful. So people are always torn about some of these topics. Cool. So I'm just going to go through, give me like your quick fire thoughts on each one. So using stop losses. Use a, yes, use them. Uh, I, I use them. Yes. You, you want like a, a 10 second answer or just a yes or no? Dude, honestly, you, you spit value. So I'm just going to let you go as long as you want to go. So whatever comes to your mind, uh, not, not in terms of just using stop losses, if I can clarify, but more so do you use it for specific risk management, 1%, 2% of your, your account, or do you use it for capital preservation? I'm, it's here just to make sure I don't blow this thing, but it's over there somewhere, not really in a specific it, place. It, it, it's capital preservation for me, but it, it's kind of both. But for me, it's more so like the biggest thing about stop losses, in my opinion, is give it breathing room. Like, I don't care if my stop, me personally, I don't care if my stop loss is 50 pips because I'm a swing trader. So 50, as long as I'm getting 150 pips out of it, 200 pips out of it, I don't care if it's 50 or 60 or 70 pips because one to three, one to four, it is what it is. It's give it breathing room. A lot of these people out here are just like, I'm going I'm to be a sniper trader and, and get five pip stop losses. A lot of times you're going to get stopped out and wicked out. Give your stop loss a little bit of breathing room and you'll be a better trader just like that alone. Um, indicators versus naked price action. I'm, I'm a naked price action trader. I don't have a bad thing to say about indicators except for, for they lag, but I use moving averages sometimes. But that's the only indicator that I use. I don't use RSI, Bollinger Bands. I don't use any of that. Um, did anything shift your opinion about that or was it just over time? Yeah. You just felt like yeah, simple I, was better. Yeah. I read the book naked Forex and it changed, changed everything. You know, I read that in my second year or year and a half into this market. I used, I had an RSI stacked on top of stochastic with the Bollinger bands on, on the charts and then the moving average in the middle, but I had so many things in my charts, bro. And then I read naked Forex um, and it changed, changed everything. I, I took everything off and then I just added a moving average because I like MAs, but took everything off. Prop firms. Yeah, I've never used them, but I, 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 I can understand the value behind it. They're, they're giving you access to capital, but they're, they're also holding you accountable. You, you, you will try to blow an account with yourself and call, say it is what it is. It's prop firms, it, it is not it is what it is. Like you're, you're going to, you go lower to 5%, sometimes 10%. You lost the account. So they're holding you accountable and enforcing rules because they, they know you may not hold these rules for yourself. It's just like taxes. Like the government don't trust you with your money. That's why they take it out before you get it, you know? So like, it, it's just like with, with, with the prop firms where it's like, we want to make sure that you're not risking too much. While Forex.com, the regulated broker that I trade, they don't let you leverage gold because they want to make sure that you're good. So yeah, prop firms are good. At the end of the day, you have more capital, make, make some money and then use that to do whatever you want with it. You walked right into the next one. <laughs> so regulated versus unregulated. Regulated 10 times out of 10. Me, um, for me personally, um, I don't have an issue with unregulated broker. I just am not interested in putting $100,000 in an unregulated broker. Um, and I see people, a lot of people doing that, but a lot of people who are doing that actually own the broker, so they have nothing to worry about. I don't think anybody's going to put 250 bands in an unregulated broker that they don't know at all. You know what I mean? Um, it's easy to tell students and clients, go to an unregulated broker because like, it's, it's a lot less, a lot more rules, like one in 500 leverage and things that, like, boom, easy like that, but and regulated has more restrictions and less leverage and things of that nature. But realistically, at the end of the day, you know your money's safe with a regulated broker. 
and and a lot of people aren't necessarily safe with unregulated in my opinion especially what i'm talking large capital if that makes sense so i mean no I, I really appreciate that honesty and i think it is important to recognize how much money you're putting with that broker and so what percent and this is like, if you were to use an unregulated broker, what percent of your money would you feel comfortable leaving in an unregulated broker of your trading capital? Probably 3,000, 4,000, maybe 5,000 at, at the most. If that, you know, just because like, and here, here's the thing I want to say to my audience, like unregulated brokers are not trying to run off with your money or else they're going to be out of business. They, they want your business over the span. They, they want to have a business long-term. They're not going to run off. But there is a chance like if, if there's some, if, if they wanted to run off with everybody's money, they could, and you cannot sue them. Like for like the United States is very, very specific on do not use unregulated brokers. But if you do, we're not going to come after them for you. We told you not to use it. Like if you read the CFTCs and, and just all those guidelines, they're just like, we recommend regulated brokers because we can, we have laws in place for them. Unregulated, we have nothing. You, if you use them, it is what it is. Use them. But if they want to put your money, don't come crying to us. We're not going to help you. And that's just the one caveat, but yeah, probably 5,000. And I'll, I'll try to flip that account or if I wanted to, but I'm not going to trade long-term on, on an unregulated broker account. I'm just not going to do it. So you're one of the, one, you're one of the few people I've talked to on the show that actually like that strictly just is saying, I mean, obviously you don't have an issue with the unregulated, but you're using the regulated. Do you feel like there's any advantages besides the capital safety? Is there anything in the trading conditions that you're seeing have you ever used an unregulated broker? Can you compare the two trading conditions? Do you feel like there's a difference? Yeah, I've used an unregulated broker for years, uh, especially when I, when I was first coming up. When I first, really started making money, I went right to a regulated broker. So two things. One, unregulated brokers has better conditions. There's better leverage and you can do certain things. And this, So I, I, I understand that. But for me, it's knowing my money is safe in, in the case of bankruptcy or anything bad happens to the broker, my money is safe. And number two, I have an SPP account. So a lot of these people on unregulated brokers think, oh, I got an ECN account. So my money is going straight to the liquidity provider. No, it's not. First of all, no, it's not. It's going to be it's slow. It's like, no, it's not. Mine actually is going directly to liquidity. Like Forex.com, if you look at the, the, the uh, plans they have, standard, commission, STP, DM, things of that nature. And this goes directly to the liquidity provider, like directly to them. They don't touch nothing. It goes right to them. And I think that has helped a lot in terms of trading conditions. But a lot of people who are saying unregulated, in my opinion, they own the broker or they're getting paid by an unregulated broker for a, a, like affiliates. Like I know a lot of people who, you know, are affiliated by Osprey or affiliated by, you know, uh, this broker or, or Hugo's or this and that in nature. And it's like, okay, like technically they, they make money from it and referring it, it, it's cool, it is what it is. They don't really gotta worry about their money being ran off and things of that nature. I, I don't know. I just don't like people who own their, their broker and then, are showing the profits from the broker that they that they created because it's like this is, this is a this is not even an unregulated broker that you don't even you don't know you you create the broker or some people who's affiliated by it like I feel like what's this is never gonna happen it's my last thing on the top this is never ever ever gonna happen. I know it's not gonna happen it's never gonna happen but eventually I would love if we had some type of fun Royal Rumble type of trader thing where you put everybody on a on a regulated broker where nobody knows like a reg like nobody can change certain things nobody benefits from winning or losing. Same leverage, same price, same cost, same same everything. You can do whatever you want to stop loss, whatever, same everything. It'll get dark for a lot of people. And a lot of people do not want to see me in, in that capacity. And that's the only thing I'm saying in terms of for the fans. Like they're talking about, oh, this person's better, better. I think everybody's a great trader. I, I have nothing bad to say about any other trader. Like I can give you 10 reasons why this person is a better trader than me or, or, or is an amazing trader in their own way. But I feel like when fans try to compare, 
oh, well, this person had a, a $900,000 week. Bro, what, what, what are you talking about? He, he like, or, or she, like, I know, I know a girl too. This girl does with, with this broker. Like, put everybody on the same broker, same lever, same lot, same, same account. It's going to get dark for a lot of people over a 12 month period. But that'll never happen. We can set that up. No, we can set that up. Bro, um, I would love <laughs> that. I know you would be down, but I know. Because it's, it's not a matter of who's the best trader. It's just a matter of transparency and let's just have fun. Like, it's not a matter. I don't care if, if I came in fifth place. I don't care. It's just a matter of let's have fun. For you know sure. What That's mean? what I was going to say. It's not really even about me. I just feel like everybody would win from that scenario. Everybody would win. The, the whole far. space would win. By far. So, because even, last thing real quick, even if somebody hmm. came place over a 12 month span they made eight hundred thousand dollars on a regular broker nobody in the world can now say this person's a scam this person only makes money from courses no this person's a trader flat out he does not own the broker he's not getting paid from the broker he got on a regular account and was public with it over a 12 month period who cares what place he came in he made this much money he's real like learn from him like you know what i mean eas just to go back to the fire round we had two more eas versus manual trading I'm a manual trader, but I'm not against EAs though, because it's it's still your strategy at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like it's still you're trying to implement this algorithm and things of that nature. And if you get to a point to where you you love doing other things and other businesses and things, and you can create your own EA, do it. It's still it's not like I'm paying somebody to take trades for me and they're they're, they're doing it themselves and they're paying me like 20%. No, it's still like my strategy at the end of the day. I'm trying to code this. I'm trying to code certain things to, to formulate how I would think in the market. I just don't have the time for it. So I'm, I'm down for EAs. I just never created one myself or had somebody create for them for me. So I'm still a manual trader, even though that was in my mind sometime last year. Okay. Awesome stuff. Um, so, I mean, we already, we already went through the last one, which was the risk management. You kind of already said uh, that, that it is important for the long term. but how do you see risk management? Is it subjective based on the individual? Is like, if somebody's a more risk on person, like you said, the, the folks that come, come in from the sports betting, is it a function of someone's personality or what? Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't consider anybody better just because they risk less money. You know, like somebody, I don't think you should be risking half your account. I've been trade, not at all. If you're risk, if you are cool with risking 7%, 11%, 12%, and it worked out for you over a period of time, do that. That works for you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want everybody to be like, you only got to risk one or two percent per trade. Because sometimes I may risk five, I may risk 10, 12, 13 because I'm so confident. In this particular, I, I am confident this pair is going to like EJ last week. Bro, I, I put a, I think a 27 lot size over like three, three different trades. And then a, another 22, 47 or 49 total. I was so confident that it was going to drop and it dropped. That came from experience. Like there's some times where you just got to just be confident that clearly this is going to happen. It's, it's, there's no chance it's going to go the other way. But um, no, I, I don't, I don't uh, say someone's better because they risk less, but I do think people shouldn't risk like a, a lot of money. Last thing, live to trade another day. If you lose, if you lose a trade, can your account be able to trade tomorrow? Yes. Okay, cool. I mean, a lot of people kind of get to that point where they lose a few trades and they kind of want to over leverage to make it back. Cause yeah. the first thought is I need to make this loss back ASAP. If I can just make this loss back, I can get back to break even and I'm back to where I started. It'll be okay. Right. So in terms of, so we, if we want to move away from trading a little bit, investing from trading into other things. A lot of people want to box, especially influencers in this space. They want to box folks into being like, all right, you can only trade and you can only make your money from trading. And that's how you have to live. Right. But obviously we're trading so that we can create passive income streams so that we can live a more fulfilled life. How do you see investing from trading and what have been some of your favorite investments? I think everybody needs to, uh, if they're, if they're making money trading, they need to put it in other things. It could be, it could be investments. It could be other skill sets. It could be other passions, whatever it may be. 
but why would you only have one female income? I talked about this with, with Alex. Nobody like looks at LeBron. Like I said, LeBron has made a lot of money playing basketball. He's made triple the money from basketball via endorsements. And it's the same with Rihanna. All that money she made from music, she made 10 times, she's a billionaire from Savage and Lingerie and Conor McGregor. All that money he made from fights and fighting Floyd Mayweather, making 100 million. Guess what? His, the most money he's ever made came from selling proper 12 for whiskey. Like, it, like you need to have other things because who, why are you getting boxed in this one category? Who says trading is my only love? Like before I started trading really, really heavily, what was I doing? Basketball, battle rapping, babysitting, TV. Like I, I had love in general. And as time goes on, you're going to develop other loves in other industries. And I think that if you're a trader and you're making money in this market, please diversify because trading is not guaranteed. Like people got to understand. And that's the one thing that I hate about this industry that fans think if you don't make five, $10 million from trader from trading alone, you're a scam. And if you got, if, if you got this from not a combination of everything, but if it's anything other than trading, you're this or you're that as opposed to no, we're very smart. Like, at the end of the day, if I know how to make a million dollars from trading a, a year or two million or three million or five million, whatever it may be, and you want to know that information, do you, do you not think you, you should be able to, like, you think you should get that information from me for free when I dropped out of college and spent eight years learning this? No, you got to pay. Guess what? You're not, you're not the only person who wants to pay. There's 300,000 people who want to pay YouTube, cut that down a lot, who want to pay me the exact same information that took me years to learn. That is a business, right? Posting on YouTube. I, I was making 50000 a month at one point on YouTube and before I, I stopped. Things that just YouTube, free videos alone. That's passive income. At the end of the day, even though I got to make the videos, that's still extra income coming in. Why, why is that bad? You're getting the information. You're learning for free. You think I should not be paid for spending my time three times a week editing, shooting, teaching you for free, basically on YouTube, to be paid from it? And then the money I get paid from it, I can't use it to buy this or buy this or buy this. Why not? So... For me, it's, I think every trader should do that. And I think I haven't made a single, like, not a single, excuse me. I haven't made like a particular company investment yet that's made a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. But as for the other streams of income that I, that I have, aside from trading, is obviously uh, the program, YouTube, merchandise and products. Um, me and my wife invested in like a, a group, sort of like a hedge fund to a certain extent, but it was a company that also like invested in like uh, Beyond Burger, Body Armor, like that that same type of thing as well, like uh, a year and a half ago. So it's like, and also another company, uh, it was, uh, I didn't I didn't invest with them, but I was going to, but when you start making money, companies will come to you, start pitching you. Like I had a company pitch to me like this uh, subscription-based service for like NBA players, things of that nature. I didn't invest with them. But for me, when I'm making a lot of money in all these different places, that that's enough for me as well. Now, I do plan on making a lot of specific investments in actual companies and different things of that nature that's going to come but i'm only like i said three years into into this whole thing of like three four years really of making really making money in the market really making money from the business really making money from youtube really making money from merchandise like I'm, i've made forty thousand in 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 three weeks from from t-shirts at one point like it's just like you got to use other streams of income you know what i mean to, to make everything work for sure we're about to we're, we're getting ready to wrap up here but i'm just i'm honestly just like i'm loving just kind of picking your brain about all these different topics You've had all these different ways of making money throughout the years. And you've also had different exposures, like money comes in really fast. Money comes in kind of slow. Right. Are there any things that you've learned about wealth throughout the years that you feel like you could share with folks at home? Yes. And I'm going to try to say this in two minutes. I can go on a long time with this, but for me, it's, we're not going to stop you. For me, it's wealth is not determined by all the material things you have. Right. I know people who've had five cars and, and, and was asking me for advice on money because they only had $70,000 in their account, things of that nature. You know, for me, 
2020, maybe 2019, when I was really making money, first thing I bought was like a Tesla car, five different chains and braces and things of that nature. I, I bought, bought them all. And I realized, because I'm looking at, you know, rappers, like little baby and things of that nature, and wearing, like people just wearing all these things. I'm just like, oh, wow, cool. I'm living. I'm going public. People know I got money. And as time goes on, it's like, that's not wealth. Like, that's rich, but that's not, that's not wealth. Because at the end of the day, I think of... Uh, Peter Till said, like, the, the, the single-digit millionaire can't afford to, to save his family from, from one lawsuit. So you, you only have six million, five million, four million. You, you get one lawsuit, you're done, just like that alone. And that's why I don't, really, I don't wear my change no more. You don't, you don't really see me with, with anything like that. I still have one car. I don't have 10 cars. Wealth comes from, if you stop doing what you're doing today, like, how much money do you have to, to keep things going and going? Or, like, for me, in my opinion, if you die today, have you created enough businesses that can last without you. Cause yeah, if I die, my trading skills were, will die. But at the end of the day, do I have five, six, seven, eight businesses that if I die, my wife and my now newborn daughter can live off of for the rest of their life? I'm not at that point yet. I'm rich, but I'm not wealthy to where like, if I mm. die, they're still good for the next 70, 80 years. And that's where I want to get to. Wealth comes from, can you provide for others if you were to be gone or if you're still here? But without all this effort, no, I don't care if somebody has 30 cars or 30 houses or anything of that nature. Like, I do think people should live how they want to live. Like, I have a $10 million uh, house right now. Live how you want to live. Cool. But total flex. <laughs> but don't think that that is, 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 is wealth. I didn't get this house because I wanted to, to flex or anything. I got this house because I'm about to have a daughter. I know a lot of families going to be in and out. I live in Dorado Beach. Um, all these houses are expensive because we, I live next to Ty Lopez and Jake Paul and Logan Paul and Bad Bunny and Peter Schiff. Everybody lives around me. Right, well, I live around them. I'm new to the neighborhood, right? I'm new. You know what I mean? Um, everything's expensive, but it has a pool. I have an office here. This is my office. Like, if I can show you real, real fast. Please. Like, this office real quick, where it's not attached to the house, so I can talk as loud as I can. I have, like, my, my post didn't come up yet, but if I move this light, I have a 10-foot basketball my office then i have a heavy bag over there then i have my library over there then i have like my setup right here and all these cameras are going to be put up like i wanted this house because it allowed me the freedom to make videos without feeling like oh my wife is in the next room my daughter is going to be born soon it's sleeping i'm going to wake her up i can yell and know the sound nobody's going to hear me so that's the reason why i got this house let me turn the light back over but yeah oh, that's awesome so why, how come you have all the blinds down is that more for your like for your own comfort or is that just to stay focused or I learned when the blinds are actually down, um, even though there's still a little bit of an echo, it kind of cuts it out right now, at least until the canvases come up. Once the canvases and, and the sound, the soundproof walls come up, like then it'll fully be no echo in here. But the second thing is, I don't know, I just like working in a dungeon. I don't like the light being on and seeing people walking back and forth. I like to stay focused on what I have in this little box and bubble right now. So it kind of helps me with both. Well, that's awesome. All right. Well, Chris, um, I actually want to get you back on and talk about wealth because now sure. I realize that there's a whole conversation that we could have. I, I want to ask you one last question. So I do Muay Thai. And so I've been training for a long time and I'm wondering what similarities you find between Muay Thai and trading and why you kind of gravitated towards that. Yeah, no, you, you, you got to be disciplined in, in both areas. You can't you can't rush when, when you're actually fighting. You can't rush. You have to pick your opponent apart and same with the market where your opponent can do anything at any point in time, even though like we're sparring or practicing at the end of the day, you have to be very, very specific on what you do because you can really hurt yourself in the market or fighting. 
even when you're practicing, if you kick the wrong way or you or you grab it the wrong way, you can hurt yourself. If you, you kick with your foot and not your shin, you can break your leg, break your foot really, really easy like that. And for me, I realized that uh, fighting helped more so with my mind, being disciplined, staying composed, never really getting too like emotional. And that was the biggest thing from fighting that I took with trading, where it's like, okay, you really got to stay composed. The market goes against you and, and retraces and, and you're either losing money or drawdown. Relax. You're not, you're not out of the fight yet. Like keep like you have a stop loss for a reason, take Robert for a reason, let it play out and, and see. Just like Mark Douglas at the end of the day, you do just enough to win. Win the game, win the fight. You do just enough. You're not going, going to go into a fight and get not get hit one time. You know what I mean? Even when you're when you're practicing, you're gonna get be sore, but you do just enough to to, to pull through. So um I, awesome. I, I love fighting. I'm about to go to Thailand for for three months, I think, in, in October, October, November, one or the other. Um, at, at uh, AKA, which is Habib's gym. No and, way. Yeah, you got going out to Thailand. You're going out to AKA. Yeah, AKA. Yeah. For three I already, months. I already got my ticket. I don't know if I'm doing three months straight. I booked it for three months, but I may do a month come back Puerto Rico. Do a month come back. Do a month. It just depends. But I booked it for three months. The three month right. session. That's real work out there. That's real work. All right, salute. That actually sounds like a dream. That sounds like something I'd want to do. Um, so enjoy yourself out there. So we, we couldn't see you at the first FX Summit because obviously now, now we know why you were moving to Puerto Rico. Can we expect to see you at the next one? Yeah, I, I, I mentioned that um, I really wanted to go, but I really couldn't say, announce my moves. Like, oh, I'm about to have a daughter. I'm about to be moving to Puerto Rico right now because um, Puerto Rico moves in May and daughter happened. You know, my, my wife was really, really pregnant. And once you got to June, she couldn't fly no more. Like you, you, I think once you get to seven months, something like that, you can't really fly no more. So we had to go to Puerto Rico and just stay there um, with her. But I do expect myself to be at, at the next FX summit. I heard the first one was dope and I really wish I could have been a part of that, but I think the next one uh, I, I for sure should be there. That's awesome. So Chris Swaggy C stopping by the Expert Trader Podcast. Appreciate you stopping by. Yeah, appreciate you, bro.